The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Well, we come this morning uh, to the end of our series on the life of David, this life that we said, which is an undaunted life, a life that wasn't without its ups and downs, but yet a life that was lived fully, committed to the Lord, that though David uh, wrestled at times in obedience to the Lord, he always came back to the Lord, he never uh, left the Lord as it were that he was a man that we can relate with so well, a picture that points us beyond his life even to the true David, the true king. In some sense, I'm, I'm grieving a time with David, of spending time with him, of considering him and thinking of him, of studying him, of being encouraged by him and dismayed by him all at the same time. Uh, of those moments of the greatness of who he was, uh, of stepping out as a young boy, uh, a teenager, most likely onto the field of battle in uh, the presence of truly a giant. And his faith in God was so profound uh, that he knew that he was going to be victorious, not because of the stones that he had in his pouch, but because of the God that he served. And that he said, who are you that you would profane my God? And he killed Goliath, and we recognize that, that in the midst of that historic narrative, there was a pointer to God is, uh, through Christ, our true David. He is our true hero. He is the true warrior who comes, and he defeated our ultimate enemy of sin and death. And that we were cowering back in the shadows, afraid to enter into the fray of the battle, for the enemy was too strong. And he defeated Satan on our behalf, having canceled uh, the certificate of debt, and having, as it were, as Matt uh, read, he said he made uh, a spectacle of him publicly, that he defeated him on the cross, and we get the spoils of his victory. We get the spoils of his war, and we see David in the midst of that, and David is a faithful man who loved the Lord and understood that masculinity also had within it a beauty and a tenderness. And he wrote within the Psalms from a heart that was tender to the things of God. That he ministered and faithfully served an unworthy king in the man Saul. And he honored an unhonorable man by not taking his life, but by trusting God in the midst of it. He was a good and true friend to Jonathan, and he was committed to this young man, his best friend, and he honored him even after his death. We recognize David's greatness as a king of expanding the kingdom of Israel, establishing it firm, but then we see him wrestle with his humanity and his heart of falling into sin with Bathsheba, to sin with murder and lying and all of the different things that came with it and entering into, as it were, a place, though repentant and restored, a season of life where he seemed to have lost heart, that he had become passive within his life and his family was a mess. And we wondered and we wanted to yell at David, come on, where are you? Come back to us. What are you doing? What are you doing, David? Stand up, say something. And he said nothing, but then in God's great care and restoration, bringing David back and David being restored to the throne and once again coming into a deep place of intimacy uh, with God. And now he's coming to the end of his life. 
And David considered the end of his life. Because you see that in these conversations that he had, the conversations with Solomon, his son, who was the new king, conversations that he had with the people of Israel, and conversations that he had with God, these, these engagements were from a man who considered well his life and considered the legacy and considered the import uh, of what he wanted to say to all three of these audiences. And I think it would be important for us to consider if these were important enough for David to say in his final recorded words, they're important for us to listen to, to heed as Solomon did his father's words, as the people did their king's last words. And so we're coming to a broad section. I'm going to read a various uh, pieces from First uh, Chronicles 28 and 29, uh, jumping around a little bit into Kings again. Uh, but we're going to be looking here for David was talking at the end of his life about the reality of living from a whole heart. He said to his son, this is what's most important. Solomon, live from a whole heart. Dan Allender wrote this in the book Cry of the Soul. He said, the reason for looking inside is not to affect direct change of negative emotions to positive emotions. Instead, we are to listen to and ponder what we feel in order to be moved to a far deeper issue of what our hearts are doing with God and with others. That we're to go in and we're to consider our hearts, that we're to go down into them. Because David, in First Chronicles 28.9, in speaking to Solomon, says this, Solomon, my son, Know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searches all the hearts and understands every plan and thought. And David spoke to his son and said, I want you to to understand and know God fully with a whole heart, an undivided heart, a flourishing heart in that way. But that wasn't enough. He understood that, that, that Solomon was never going to be able to accomplish that task if the Lord didn't do it. And so he prayed in 1 Chronicles 28. Uh, 29, he said to the Lord, grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all of them, that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. He wanted Solomon to have a whole heart, to live out of the fullness of his heart, an undivided heart. We've talked about this a little bit before, but consider how important it is to live out of the fullness and the completeness, the whole heart. Can you imagine uh, coming to a wedding ceremony and the young couple had decided to write their own vows and they're standing before God and before all of the witnesses and they look at one another and the groom looks at his bride and says, sweetheart, I commit to love you with half my heart. And she says, oh, that's awesome because I'm committing to love you with part of my heart too. Now the rest of my heart I'm giving to other lovers. I'm giving to other passions. But I promise to give you a little bit of it. How would that work? Some of you are going, well, that's unfortunately the life I'm seeming to live. Because I'm committed to someone with the whole of my heart. And they're committed to me only with a part of their heart. Half-hearted living isn't living at all, by the way. And David is saying here, I want you to live with the fullness of your heart because the heart is important. Remember Proverbs 4, 23. If you don't know it, make sure you memorize it, that you put it into your mind. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. Keep your heart with a little bit of attention. If you think about it today, consider your heart. No, it says, with all vigilance. 
Keep your heart, protect your heart, guard your heart. All different words used there to translate that Hebrew passage. For from it, because you guard something, and you guard something because you both, you know, you know two things. It's incredibly valuable, and you know there's something or somebody who's trying to get it. And so we recognize that the heart is incredibly valuable. Uh, that the heart, uh, it, from the heart flows the springs of life. It flows our very lives, come out of our hearts that we're focused on it. Tim Keller says this, Remember that according to the Bible, the heart is not primarily the emotions, but rather the seat of our fundamental commitments and trusts. And therefore, it is the control center of the whole life. So to preach to the heart means to go right for the commanding commitments of people's lives that drive their desires, their thinking, their feelings, and their actions. David was focused on the heart of his son, For he believed that it was so important that his last recorded conversations and his last recorded prayers had to do with Solomon's heart. They had to do with saying, live this way, Solomon, because he also knew uh, the Proverbs even before Solomon would have written it. Interestingly enough, Solomon writing the words about the heart. He knew that the heart was so valuable that we needed to protect it, for from it flow streams of water that everybody around us drinks from, by the way. All of those who are within the spheres of your life drink, as it were, from the fountains, from the flow of life that comes from you. And the question has to be, is it poisoned? Is it tainted water? Or is it life-giving, life-assuring, life-increasing water that is flowing from your life? And he recognized the importance of the heart, and he also recognized that there was an enemy who wanted to destroy our hearts. John Eldridge wrote this. He said, The story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by one who knows what you could be, and he fears it. Have you ever thought your heart mattered this much? And Charles Spurgeon added uh, in his words, Inasmuch as the heart is the most important part of a man, for out of it are the issues of life, it would be natural to expect Satan, when he intended to do mischief to manhood, would be sure to make his strongest and most perpetual attacks upon the heart. Your heart is under assault. There's an enemy who's attacking. There's an enemy who's trying to lure you uh, into a half-hearted life so that you're loving other less passionate lovers, that you're giving your life away to other things, that you're distrusting the true lover of your soul. And so what we're going to look at this morning very briefly as we bring this whole series uh, to an end is what does it look like? What are at least three markers, three distinctions uh, of a heart uh, that is whole, living Uh, the wholehearted life. And the three things that we're going to see briefly are a heart, a wholehearted life is one that is marked with generosity, one that's marked with obedience, and one that's marked with worship. Generosity, obedience, and worship. First, generosity. First Chronicles 29, 1 through 5, it says this, David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and experienced, and the work is great for the palace, uh, will not be for man, but for the Lord God. He's going to build the temple. So I've provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, and so on. In verse 3, moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 
3,000 talents of gold, of gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen. Gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver. What's David saying? David is basically saying this, I'm going to put up all the money uh, to build the temple. I'm going to put up all of it, but I'm also, I'm not just going to pay for all the construction costs. I'm going to endow all of its ministries because you understand that the temple wasn't just a place of worship. It was a place of ministry. It was a place where justice was dispersed. It was a place uh, where the poor came and were fed. It was a place where the gospel was presented out of God's presence with his people and the transformative power uh, that was there. And so David was basically saying, I am giving everything that I have to this ministry. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to empty my treasures. I'm going to give all of my treasures. Notice what he said, what he didn't say. It doesn't say, I'm going to give out of my treasures. David's not worth a trillion dollars and he's giving a million. David is saying, I'm giving everything uh, that I have. And you may be thinking, okay, so how much is that? Well, if you look at the 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of silver, how much is it? It's difficult to assess, but quickly, in what many scholars would assess and say is one talent is worth 10 years of labor for the ordinary laborer. One talent is equal to 10 years of salary for the ordinary laborer. So David was giving uh, to the Lord what would have been equivalent probably of somewhere in the neighborhood of $5 billion to the work of the Lord. And the people saw this and they were astounded because David said, I'm not giving out of my treasure, I am giving my treasure. I am emptying all of my wealth. I'm giving everything that I have to the ministries uh, of the temple, to the ministries of God. That's what I'm doing with everything that I have. What a non-Western American thought. Most of you, when you consider your retirement, you're making sure of two things. Do I have enough to get me through to the end? And how am I going to protect it from taxes so that my children have enough? David would have said, I don't understand anything that you just said. Because the wealth isn't for me, it's for God. And it says that he gave everything away uh, to the ministries of the Lord. And the people, in verse 6, were astounded by it. And you have to ask the question, what motivated David to do that? And you would see that in verse 14, when David in his prayer to the Lord said this, But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have been given to you. For we are strangers before you, sojourners. All our fathers were, our days on the earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all yours anyway. David understood the abounding grace of God. David understood the incredible mercies. David understood his insignificance and how God took his insignificance and made it significant. And he said, you are something. I am going to use you. I'm going to do mighty things through you. And David was so overwhelmed by this word from the Lord that it changed him. It it transformed his heart. And the people looked at David and they went, okay. Because David asked him, who else is going to give? 
And the leaders of the fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands or hundreds, officers over the king's work. And they gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18 total talents of bronze, 10,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel uh, the Gershonite. And then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. So in response to the grace of God, David gave, and the result was absolutely astounding because the leaders also began to give. And I don't have time to unpack it fully, but basically what you see here is they were giving out of what would have been the gross national product of Israel uh, at that time. They were giving out of their national economy. Now, it was different from our economy. It's different from our world. It was uh, God, the theocracy, God as the king. They served the king. Everything was his. But the way that we can understand this is saying this, it's never been about us, and our wealth is never ours. It was always from God. And so we're to be generous people with everything that we have, not just our money. And look at the motivation of the people. And then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. Did you catch that language again? Their hearts had been changed. This is the beginning of what David had wanted. Hearts began to change. Those words are much more significant when we look at them a little bit more. It says that they freely and wholeheartedly gave. To freely give means to give, uh, liber- to be liberated. It's a word that means not under compulsion. There was no compulsion. David didn't browbeat them into giving. It says that they freely gave, that it was their choice. They willingly gave to the Lord. They didn't feel guilted into it. And then it says, and they gave wholeheartedly or from a whole heart. And that word, scholars say, is a word that basically says this. They gave from shalom hearts. They were shalom hearted. Shalom is that other fulfillment of, that comes from the Lord, that flourishing uh, that comes from the Lord. Their hearts were so satisfied in God that they were able to give incredible sacrificial gifts to the Lord. So we see that generosity is one characteristic of a person who's living from a whole heart. And folks, I'm not talking only about monetary gifts. This is monetary. But there is a generosity of life. There's a generosity of time, there's a generosity of your love, uh, of the things that you have, uh, of who you are, of your affections, and it comes from a heart uh, that says, I am fully satisfied in God. I don't have to have anything else. Christ is enough. That's one of the most profoundly difficult questions to ask, that if everything else was stripped away from you, would Christ be sufficient? Would he? It's a challenge. Because we like our stuff, don't we? It's kind of fun to have stuff. And David said, you know what? In the words of Billy Graham, never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. I can't take it with me. I might as well use what God has given me for the most significant thing that the world has ever seen, and that's the very presence of God in the midst of his people. And I have the humble honor of proclaiming the goodness of God through my sacrificial and generous giving. Guess what? We have the exact same opportunity to proclaim the goodness of the presence of God within our midst through the generous sacrificial giving that we have of our time and of our talents and of our treasures. On the negative side, there's this. 
If you're not a generous person, why not? If you're not a generous person, you have to ask the question, why not? What's keeping you from generosity? Is it fear? Is it distrust? What is it that there is there? It's something, though, that we need to consider. So first, we see that generosity is a picture, is one picture or one component uh, of a whole heart. The second is obedience, and we've got about two seconds to go over all of these things, uh, but we'll hit them uh, quickly. The second characteristic of a person living from a whole heart is obedience, and that may sound odd, uh, but look at these different passages in First Chronicles 28. And then in First Kings 2 and First Chronicles 29, it says, I will establish his kingdom forever, verse 7 of First Chronicles 28, keeping my commandments and my rules as he has each day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel and the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of God, observe and seek all the commandments of the Lord your God. And then First Kings 2, and it said, show yourself to be a man. This is David speaking to Solomon. Be strong, show yourself to be a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that he may prosper, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. And then it says in First Chronicles 29, Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing them all. The scriptures indicate that wholehearted living is also a life that has as a core characteristic a deep and a profound desire to honor the Lord through obeying him. It's a heart that says, I am so satisfied within who God is that I have a desire now to honor him by obeying his commands and that I want to see my life prosper in all that I do. And wherever I turn. Any of you have a desire to see your life prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn? A few of you. The rest of you are like, oh, whatever. I already made it to Hilton Head. <laughs> There's not another candy land beyond this, is there? Well, there is more, actually. God says, I want to, prof- I want to profoundly bless you with my presence. I want to profoundly bless you with peace of mind, with that whole heart. And part of that comes from saying this, I want to honor the Lord in how I obey Him. That obedience doesn't bring about the presence of God, but the presence of God changes the heart so that we have a desire to obey and to follow Him. That our righteousness says something and matters. Half-hearted commitment to the Lord will not result in a life marked by obedience and faithfulness. If you're struggling with obeying the Lord, if you're struggling with see it, seeing it in all the different areas of your life, it means that you've made other commitments. It means that you're pursuing other lovers, other things that are making promises to you. And what David is trying to say to us is the life of someone whose heart has come alive, is living out of the wholeness of their heart. It's believing God when he says this, I'll bless you and I'll prosper you and I'll give good things to you. But I expect and see within you a righteousness and an obedience that comes. And David says, this is the life. He says, give my son a whole heart so that he'll obey you. Because you know what David understood? Obedience to God is a good thing. It's not good to get into an ungodly relationship outside of marriage. It's not good to lie. It's not good to murder. It's not good to hide. 
It's not good to not live out of who you really are. David understood these things and he was saying to Solomon, give my son a whole heart so that he'll obey. Not that in his obedience he misses out on something, but in and through his obedience he doesn't have to miss out on anything. The world doesn't tell you that, does it? The world tells you, no, disobey God in order to have joy. Disobey God in order to flourish. And God is saying that's absolutely a lie. Trust me and obey me and I'll flourish you. Trust me and obey me with all that you have, with all of your life. Trust me, I promise, you may not experience it fully in this life, but there is a life to come in which you will understand fully all of my goodness towards you. You'll have that full shalom. And so we have generosity and we have obedience. And the final thing that we see is that we have worship. That a life, a heart that's come alive and we're living out of the fullness and the completeness of our hearts is a life that is generous in its, its disposition. It is, has a life of integrity, of honoring the Lord in its obedience. And it's a life that worships. First Chronicles 29, beginning in verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And he said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. And verse Verse 14 turns and he goes, but who am I? And we've already looked at that section of his great humility of recognizing the grace that he had been given. Oh, Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for the building of your house, it comes from your hand. Oh, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart in all of this. And then David said to all the assembly, verse 20, bless the Lord, your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord and the God of their fathers and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord on the next day, offered burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs, with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and they drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. It was a life of worship before God. It was a heart that had come alive and a heart that comes alive and that wholehearted heart sees God for all of His greatness and says, yours is the glory. Yours is the power. Yours is the splendor. It's all yours and it's not mine and I am amazed at who you are. When I consider you and your works, When I consider that you made the heavens and you spoke them into existence and I look up in the night sky that has no artificial light and I'm there in the middle of the field at night and I look up, I am amazed at the profound glory and the nature of who you are. But what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou dost care for him? But you have made him a little lower than the angels and you've crowned him with glory and with honor. He goes, and I know who I am. And I've experienced your grace and your mercy that I acknowledge that. So I have given you an ascription of praise and I have acknowledged the grace that is mine through Christ. And now I give an active expression of my thankfulness, it says that they sacrificed to the Lord and they gave to Him. And then it says that they had a celebration of joy. 
Ascription of praise, acknowledgement of grace, expression of thankfulness. But don't forget the, the expression or the celebration of joy. Look at what it said. And they ate and they drank before the Lord on that day with a Presbyterian, hmm. Well, that was cool. That was kind of neat. It says that they celebrated. They got excited with great joy. They ate and they drank and they feasted before God. Why? Because their hearts were alive in His presence. It's why Christ's first uh, act uh, of His divinity uh, was at a wedding feast. His first miracle, He was saying, I'm the Lord of the dance. And when you come into My presence, you feast and you dance before Me. You understand who I am and you live out of the fullness of the life that I've given you. You worship me and all that I am, not only in the gathered presence of the saints here, but every single day within your life. And there is great joy. Is your life marked by great joy? Oh, it should be. And if it's not, you have to ask, what kind of heart am I living from? It has to be a divided heart. For when Christ takes up residency within our hearts and He takes that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh and He comes and He resides within us, it has to bring within us an inexpressible joy that we're amazed and that it moves us in emotions. Guys, emotions aren't a negative thing, by the way. Emotions are good things because emotions, by the way, men especially, remember David said to Solomon, live like a man. Don't ever feel a thing. No, he said, live like a man, have a whole heart. Let your emotions guide you. Let your emotions guide you. Let them be a pathway down to deeper things. Let them move you. Let them show you. Let them be part of who you are. Living a wholehearted life is characterized by this generosity. It's characterized by obedience. And it's characterized by by worship. And when the heart comes alive and we're living in the reality of who God has made us to be, we have a shalom. We have a flourishing that comes to us. I want to cheerlead you a little bit today. Matt, your team can come on up. You guys are doing well. I look and I'm amazed at what I see within our church of a generosity of your time, of your talents, of your treasures at this church of seeing the impact that you can have uh, around the world because of what you are doing, that I do see a righteousness springing up within our people uh, that is growing and that we recognize that we represent Christ in every single sphere of the life, be it at school, be it on the roads, be it in our workplace, be it on the golf course, wherever it is uh, that we represent and we want to honor Christ in our righteousness And that we want to worship and celebrate Him. So I want to cheerlead you and encourage you in those things. But I also want to say keep pressing on. Keep pressing on to live from that whole heart that God has given you to live. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that You didn't leave us with dead hearts. Thank you that you've said to us, you celebrate over us with the fullness of who you are and you invite us to celebrate and to live life in the fullness of who we are. That we are giving back to you only that which you already gave to us. It's costing us absolutely nothing at the end of the day for every good and perfect gift comes from above. 
that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that you say that you provide for the sparrow, you provide for the flower of the field, how much more will you provide for your children made in your image, redeemed by the very blood of your son, Jesus Christ, that you've secured our future and eternity, and you said that you are going away, and that you're going to come back again, and in your Father's house are many rooms, and that you're preparing one for us, and you're going to come and take us there one day, and that you have been victorious and you're going to make all things right and new. So why in the world do we ever live half-hearted lives here? So Father, renew our hearts. Fill them afresh with your spirit this morning. And we rejoice in you today and live to you in all that we say and all that we do. It is a mystery. And we do come and we behold it now and sing to your glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing.